and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Pallier Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Colleen O'Grady, and I'm the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teen podcast, and this is our seventh episode. Today, we have a really special guest that I would like to introduce, Julia Wolf. She is a seasoned, licensed marriage and family therapist and has a thriving private practice in the Houston area. She was the director of community behavioral health for five years at the Houston Council of Alcohol and Drug Abuse. Julia and I graduated from um, U of H Clear Lake, I think, in 91. And she's a great friend. Um, we've had fun presenting at the Texas Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, and, which was kind of a long time ago. Um, we are also total brain geeks. One of our favorite things that we like to do at lunch is talk about our newest book that we've read on neuroscience. So welcome, Julia. Thank you so much, Colleen. It's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. So yes, it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to have fun, especially since I pressed the record button this time. Um, so today, Julie is going to speak to the concerns that really all moms have about teenagers. We hear it on the news, it's on the media, it's probably one of the number one things that moms and parents worry about, which is our kids becoming addicted to drug and alcohol. You know, I think most parents worry about about that, but then there are other parents who think it's just fine. I mean that, you know, it's not really a big deal if my kids drink at home or if we go out, they can have some beer or wine or if kids are coming over, you know, they can drink beer. And so, Julia, I think the first question I'd like to ask you is how do you think, in, in terms of what you know about brain science and the teenage brain, how does alcohol or drugs affect their development? Well, Klein, I think it's a great question. And I know that parents are struggling trying to make the right decisions around something that they really feel like in some ways they don't have any control over. Yeah, I know it feels to parents like this is a pervasive thing in our society and our culture and that their kids are going to do it anyway. And so how can they figure out how to, how to handle this in the way that, that they feel is best? And I think in order to make those decisions, it's important for parents to be fully informed about what alcohol and drug use do to the teenage brain. And I know you've talked a lot with your uh, moms about what's happening in the teenage brain and how critically important that developmental period is for the actual physical development of the structures in the brain. And we know that that's a time when the brain is undergoing uh, two main things. One is it's shedding a lot of cells, which allows room for growth in these neuropathways in a particularly very important areas of the brain, including the prefrontal cortex, which is where we learn to make decisions. It's kind of like the control central for the whole brain. 
Yeah. It's it's where we can uh, develop emotional regulation, critical thinking skills, all of those things that will move us forward into adulthood. Alcohol and drugs put into the teenage brain during this developmental period of time will actually change how the brain develops those pathways. Mm. And because it is a, a toxin, I mean, those things are toxins. And so they have really powerful effects on cell development. Mm, that's great. And what I've heard is, and what I've read is that the teenage brain is like a house that doesn't have a roof on it. So it's really vulnerable to outside substances like alcohol and drugs. And it really affects the dopamine levels. Can you speak to that? Yes, there's another part of the brain, uh, the dopamine pleasure center is kind of the the common uh, name for it. And this is the part that notices when something feels really good. And when that happens, it says, I want some more of that. Because that part of the brain really doesn't care about anything else except getting what it wants that feels good. Yeah. And so what happens is when someone takes uh, a drug or drinks some alcohol, there's a big spike of dopamine. Now, the size of that spike of dopamine depends on what was ingested. Some drugs give a much greater spike than others. Mm. And those are the ones that are more addictive, more quickly addictive. So what happens then in the teenage brain is the teenager's young brain says, oh, this is the way I need to have fun. This is the thing I need to do to get pleasure. I want to do that again. I want to do that again. And tolerance can develop, and so they need more and more to get the same feeling. Yeah. This is the pathway to addiction. Now, I'm not saying that every child who experiments with alcohol or drugs is going to become addicted, but the earlier the child starts the more their brain develops around the desire for that substance again. And it creates a higher, much higher risk of becoming addicted down the line. Yeah. And what I've heard is that the body or the brain actually becomes dependent on outside sources to maintain that certain level of dopamine and that the brain learns to not produce enough of its own dopamine that's right. And the things that normally give us pleasure, particularly for kids, hanging out with friends, watching a funny movie, eating chocolate cake, these things no longer satisfy because yeah. they can't compare to what happens in the brain when someone takes one of these chemicals. Yeah. So and people it, lose interest in kind of those normal everyday things, and that's not the way to have fun anymore, the brain tells them. Yeah. It's interesting, I just got back from an adolescent conference, and one of the things that they talked about, uh, a woman named Jean Kilborn spoke to this, is that, that the alcohol companies and tobacco companies know this more better than anybody else. They know that they have a target market of like the 12 and 13 year olds for tobacco and alcohol, because they know if they can get them started at an early age, that they will be their quote customers for life. And they know that they are most prone to becoming addicted at those early ages. That's exactly right, Colleen. There's a huge marketing thing here going on, which is pretty scary for parents. And, and because it is so pervasive in our culture, I think that's where parents feel like, how can I fight this monster? How can I, 
how can I really protect my children when I know this is out there everywhere? And I think what parents need to know is that they can outsmart Mm-hmm. Um, these marketing experts and these big companies by really keeping an eye on their young teenage children. And every year that they can prevent their children from starting to use drug or alcohol is in that child's best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Delay, delay, delay. That's great. So, okay. So we know that the alcohol and drugs affect the teenage brain. Can you speak to some, what are the other risks for teenagers who take drugs and alcohol? Well, of course, the greatest risk is um, the kind of groupthink, peer pressure. Yeah. That's the other vulnerability to the adolescent brain. Not only is it developing, but it's also because it's developing, it's and changing. It, it, the, the, the focus is on risk and on uh, group. In other words, they want to be with other teens and they're prone to high-risk behavior. So if you throw alcohol or drugs into that mix, you're going to greatly increase the danger that risky behaviors would become highly risky and that the group together is going to do things that one child alone may not actually do. Mm -hmm. And then you add in vehicles into this mix and you've got some really, really dangerous uh, situations. Yeah. And I think about that, that dopamine reward factor, because it's like you drink a lot of alcohol and then let's see how fast you can drive. And then you have um, sexual attraction. And, you know, I've heard what we're talking about at our conference is how sad it is for girls that they have to be conscious of their drinks all the time because of the date rape drugs. Well, they do. They need to be in control of if they do have alcohol, they need to make sure that it's alcohol that they have poured for themselves or that comes out of a bottle that they have opened. And they really need to pay attention to that. And they also need to keep their wits about them. And that's part of the risk of alcohol for adolescent girls is that alcohol dulls our perceptive senses. Mm -hmm. So we are less aware of our environment. We're less aware of what's going on around us. We're less perceptive. And so we might not perceive that we're in a dangerous situation when we uh, could be in a dangerous situation. Right, right. So what do you think, what are the warning signs? What should parents look for? Well, they can be subtle or they can be pretty glaring depending on what's going on. Um, I think any change in a child's uh, friendship group needs to be noticed by parents and parents really need to know their children's friends. They know, need to know who they're hanging out with and they do need to know where their children are. Yeah. it's very, very important. Um, I think that uh, knowing the, the the peer group and noticing any changes is the primary one. Secondarily, I'd say changes in sleeping patterns, changes in um, grades, changes in attitude toward the parents, anything that starts to change, mm-hmm. if the child's sleeping patterns change or they seem like they may be hung over or, you know, you stay up to greet them and clearly you can tell that they're under the influence of something. 
you may not want to address it at that moment because it's yeah. useless to talk to an intoxicated person, right. but you certainly want to address it immediately the next day. Yeah. And, um, I've heard like, especially like aggressive behaviors, you know, just. Yeah. That kind of angry, uh, mm-hmm. and aggressive irritability. One of the things parents need to know about substance abuse is that to the brain is under the influence of a substance when the child is taking the substance, but also as the child is, is in withdrawal from that substance after the use. And kind of the hallmarks of that period are anger, irritability, that kind of negative behavior, because the brain is in distress at that point in time as it goes through a withdrawal period from whatever the substance was. And parents might really notice that their child is grumpier than normal, much more irritable than normal, more angry. Also, some drugs can make children very, very aggressive. Mm. That's a great point about the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And that's where sometimes uh, if you notice a real big change on your child's behavior, particularly on the weekends, because that's those are the riskiest times for children to experiment and use drugs and alcohol. Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how is your child on uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings? Mm. Pay attention. Yeah, that's great. So I've had a lot of parents you really, you know, question me, like, do I read my daughter's journal? Do I go through her room? Do I go through her car? I mean, how, how, um, ambitious and I mean, how do, how, how much should they really go for it? Well, I think it depends on what they're perceiving, uh, as is there risk there or not? You know, if parents have a, a good relationship with their child, they're probably going to be able to sense if something is up. And this is not a, a don't ask, don't tell situation. You want to talk about this. You want to keep uh, an open conversation about this. And you want to let your children know if you are concerned. So if you if you ask a child, are you drinking or using drugs? They're going to say no. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you... if if you really suspect that they are, you're going to have to use some other kinds of um, investigative techniques to find out because just asking is not going to give you the answer. So if you really have concerns and your child is denying any kind of use, there are several things you can do. You can say, I want you to get a drug test and we're going to the doctor. Or you can check their car, absolutely. Look in their room, check their purse or their backpack. You absolutely can. It's important for parents to know, and this is this is a serious enough issue that parents have the right to step in and cross some boundaries that they might not cross in any other area because this is affecting the child's brain and it can have lifelong effects. So, Julia, I can just hear some parents say, well, what about just experimentation? How do you know if it's just experimentation or if it's something more serious? Well, it always starts out as experimentation. That's how everything starts out. And I think that's where parents need to talk to their children openly and honestly. If they know that their child is going to be at some point in time using alcohol, for example, it's important for them to talk about how how to drink and how not to drink. The most risky kind of drinking for long-term addiction is starting out with binge drinking. That's drinking a whole lot at one time. And how do most children start drinking? Binge Binge drinking. drinking. Right. Because they have this opportunity, they get a whole bunch of beer or wine or wine coolers or whatever, and they drink a whole bunch at one time. 
Right. Um, and so they're already starting a bad pattern that can lead to a lifetime problem. And even if it's not a problem of addiction, it can become a problem of, of serious substance abuse, which usually looks like a whole lot of alcohol at one time. And that's what's really dangerous for the brain. Yeah. Because the body cannot metabolize that alcohol. And so you get a high blood alcohol concentration, which is going to lead to highly risky behaviors and also more damage to the brain. Yeah. So they can talk with their children about extremely moderate alcohol use, but then you have the peer pressure factor. Yeah. And so that's what I'm, I'm thinking. I've, there's so many of the teenage girls that it's just the popular girls do a lot of drinking. And the popular boys do a lot of drinking or drugs. And so you want to be popular and there you go. And there you go. And that's why parents have to stay on top of this. It's just, they just have to stay on top of this and they have to keep talking to their children and they have to educate them. And it's, it's something that people need to understand what these chemicals do to their brain and to their body and why they cannot develop these patterns of binge drinking, which is especially risky when they go off to college because that's the way college students tend to drink as well. So the children need to understand why moderation in these in with alcohol in particular is so important. And then they need to understand about the other drugs, what is risky about them and which ones will, will cause you to become addicted very quickly. Yeah. So if if a parent really thinks that they that their daughter is in, or son are in trouble, then what do they do? They like they did the drug test. They're using, and then what? Well, then they need to take immediate action. They can't just say, "Oh, this is something that's going to pass," because it's not. The brain is already changing. So what they can do is um, the Council on Alcohol and Drugs has a great program. Um, for adolescents and their parents, kids who are experimenting and uh, risky using. So they can go over there. They can say, we're going over to this class and we're going to get educated and we're going to talk about this. And then they keep a really close eye and they may have to restrict certain peers that their children are seeing. They may have to say, no, you can't hang out with those people anymore. And we're going to monitor this very closely. If things get really serious, they may have to go to a daytime outpatient program for adolescents. There's also um, something called APGs or alternative peer groups. And these are for children who've actually had to stop all experimentation and all using. And because they're already on a path to addiction, parents can know that their children are on a path to addiction because they are they're using in spite of these negative consequences and their use is out of control. It's no longer just an experimentation. So those kids can really benefit from these alternative peer groups because it's kids who also have decided or are maybe didn't decide on their own, but are going down the path of, okay, I can't use drugs or alcohol anymore. Yeah. So they do sober activities. They hang out together. There's even a sober high school called Archway Academy in town. That's just terrific. Yeah. One of my clients, uh, when she was in seventh grade, her mom uh, had been widowed and then she had just gotten over uh, breast cancer and her daughter acted out by doing drugs and she was addicted to hardcore drugs in the seventh, gr- seventh grade. 
Oh, yeah, it's possible for sure. Yeah. And so she got involved with one of the APGs um, in town and her mom got involved. Mm-hmm. And that was so amazing. And mom, mom got in recovery. And even though she wasn't really drinking, but she used it for a pathway for her own growth. Right. Um, right. Because she would freeze up a lot of times. She would see her daughter start to drink and she just like would just panic and just couldn't take action. Right. So what happened is um, this this girl went from having black, you know, all around her eyes and with her her head down all the time in the session to um, just her face shining and not not needing to put her head down or wear all the black around her eyes. And she started doing really well in that school you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, her relationship with her mom is just great. And she's got all these wonderful dreams for the future. And she works her program. And I mean, she is just a light bulb. She's so bright. So it is wonderful to see that happen. And you're bringing up one more point that I would like to make, Colleen. And that's that's that a strong attachment Yes, is really a preventative or a safeguard against addiction. Right. So that's another reason why I love your program, because it's really helping moms to work on their relationship, their attachment with their teenage daughters. That is probably the most powerful preventative for a child becoming addicted. Yes. And that's exactly why I started my program. And, and, and I think a lot of parents think, well, you know, this is, this is the age they're not going to be close to the parents because they're supposed to be close to their peers. But the problem with, with that is they're going to be, if they're best friends and the only people they talk to are people who are, you know, partying crazy, then yeah. that's the norm. So Exactly. So it's really crucial to be able to find ways to have a really good attachment to your um, daughter every single or son every single day. And, Absolutely. and, um, actually this summer I'm going to launch my power, your parenting program again. And it really gives you practical ways to rebuild that relationship with your teen. And, um, there's good news for you also, I promise. And, um, but you do. What I have seen is that communication, that authenticity, and uh, that you can have with your daughter and sometimes, or your son. And sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. Absolutely. That's why I say you cannot take a don't ask, don't tell, put your head in the sand about this issue because it does have lifelong impact on your child. Yeah. And you can be a good Christian, you can be, you know, um, involved in your, in the temple, you can be, you know, you can be very um, spiritual and, and raise your kids up in the right way, but they can still be at risk for drug and alcohol. And it does not mean that you are a failure as a parent. Not at all. And, you know, that's what I always say to people is drugs and alcohol don't care about anything (laughs) that there's. And that part of the brain that gets addicted 
is very primitive. It doesn't care about anything. So yeah. we have to depend on these other parts of our brain to help us, Our the relational part, the part that loves. That's what the parents are, are developing with their children, and that really helps because then children care about the choices that they make. The critical thinking parts of our brain, when someone is under the influence, those things tend to go completely offline. So I think people need to understand that this is not a moral issue. This is a biochemical brain issue. Chemicals change the brain. So we need to be able to talk with our children about the physiological facts so they can understand what they are doing. And I'm so glad that you you mentioned that because it, it is way bigger than just a moral Issue. Oh, way bigger. Yeah. This is a brain issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that I, I did, I was an area director for Young Life for 10 years, and I hung out with teens like 24-7. Mm-hmm. And what I love about teens is they don't need that drugs and alcohol. They, they have, they're so vibrant, fun, um, adventuresome, hilarious, and actually, they think that drugs and alcohol are going to make their lives more fun, but it really dumbs them down. It does. It makes those other things not so fun anymore. And that's what's so sad about it. Then people lose interest in just the glorious, fun things of life, especially the fun that happens when you're a teenager. Yeah. So you hate to see that happen at such a young age for their their minds and their brains to develop around this idea that that life itself is not fun. Yeah, yeah. So... Julia, we're about to wind up, and I'm so appreciative of your time today. Um, I guess two things is, one is, do you have kind of a final tip for for moms? I guess the, the one thing I would want to emphasize today, Colleen, is to really give those moms support and say, this is happening. Keep your eyes open Stay uh, aware of what's happening with your child and whatever you do, don't be afraid to bring it up. Don't be afraid to directly talk with your child about the risks of alcohol and drug abuse and get some education for yourself and your child so that you really know what's going on with these chemicals. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so mom, mom needs to become educated and not be afraid to have that conversation, that honest conversation with their, their son or daughter. Absolutely. And the other, one last thing I would say is that we know a lot more about this now than we did when, when the moms were younger. The last 10, 15, 20 years, we have made enormous strides in understanding the brain and in understanding the, the path to addiction. So it's really, there's a lot of great science out there. So it's helpful for moms to be able to find out, get the latest, find out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. The science definitely, I know with my own daughter gets her attention. It really does. Facts are facts, and they're very helpful. Yeah. So, Julia, how could people find you if they, if they had, um, you know, would like to, to work with you? Well, um, I'm easy to Google. You can Google Julia Wolf, um, LMFT, and my website will pop up. My website um, is www.juliawolfcounseling.com. And I'd be happy to meet with any of your mom's kids, families, um, if I could be helpful to them in any way. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Julia. And um, 
we'll do this again. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, Colleen. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.